Today's reading comes from the book of Thessalonians, so 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, reading from verse 1 through to verse 11. So 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, reading from verse 1 through to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Great, thank you, Camilla, very much. Now, I'd like you to go back to 2012, okay? The Olympics in London. And it's the 100-metre men's final. And the starter says on your marks and they uh, they settle down onto the blocks and then the starter waits until they're perfectly still and then he says set and they rise and they're ready to go they're waiting for the gun and uh, that will set them on their way to glory and at this point they are already they're balanced they're poised and they're waiting to just explode out of the blocks when the gun goes and then uh, the gun went, and 9.63 seconds later, you know who, Usain Bolt broke the tape. Uh, was there a tape? Anyway, he crossed the line at 9.63 seconds, won the gold. Silver was uh, Johan Blake in 9.75, and bronze Justin Gatlin at uh, 9.79. Now, this morning, we are learning about the end of the world. And we're thinking about Jesus' return and how on that, well, it says here in verse 2, though, the day of the Lord, how on that day Jesus will bring this world to a conclusion as it is now and introduce a new heaven and a new earth. Day of Jesus' return. And uh, the, the thing on my mind is this. Are you ready and waiting like those runners on the blocks for the 100 meter final, ready for Jesus' return.
That's what this passage says to us. You've got to be ready and waiting for Jesus' return. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand this well this morning. Father, we thank you that one day Jesus will return. And we thank you not just for the fact that he will return, but for what that means. That there will then be, that will be the time when we Christian people go to be with you for all eternity. And so we pray that you might teach us, open our hearts and our minds, grant us understanding, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Christians have to know about Jesus' return, or sometimes called the second coming, or the parousia, or the day of the Lord, as we've seen here. And uh, it seems that in Thessalonica, that some of them had a really big interest on when it was going to be. It seems a lot were thinking it was going to be very, very soon. And one of the first things that Paul says here is, well, actually, we do need to know that Jesus is coming, but actually no one knows when exactly Jesus is going to come. Um, but that doesn't stop silly Christians trying to work it out. So, uh, so for, I mean, there have been loads down the centuries. And uh, so, for instance, a former NASA engineer, Ed, Edgar C. Wisenant, wrote, wrote a book in 1988, uh, and it sold four million copies, and it was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture, that is, uh, the, the Christian people being taken from this earth. It's a view about the second coming, which I believe is misguided. But uh, uh, a lot of folks, uh, perhaps especially Americans, I, I think perhaps uh, uh, believe in this. And uh, so, um, and he said, four, 88 reasons why the rapture will happen will be in 1988 and he, he, he predicted that it was going to happen uh, on the or between September the 11th and the 13th 1988 didn't happen uh, Weisnant then shifted the date to October the 3rd didn't happen later that month he was interviewed by Christianity Today magazine and he said well the evidence is all over the place that it's going to be in a few weeks anyway didn't happen and, uh, and, and in fact, Wisenant continues his predictions, 1989, 1993, 1994, and so on. And it seems that every time there is a conflict in the Middle East, every time there is a, <coughs> a hike in world oil prices, every time you get a new U.S. president, some Christian somewhere is saying, well, this means, therefore, that Jesus is going to be back on such and such a date. And, uh, uh, and we've been told lots of times, it's not just 88, 89, 93, 94, 2000, lots of people assumed Jesus would come in 2000, didn't they? He hasn't come back on any of them. And there's no point in trying to work it out. In fact, the one thing we can be sure about is that when someone comes up with a specific date about when Jesus is going to come back, he's not going to come back then. Because he's going to time, says, I'm, he's, he's told us, I'm going to come at a time when you're not expecting me to. So if someone says he's going to come back then, he's not. That's the only thing we can say about it. <clears throat> and he hasn't come back yet. But what can we know? What can we learn from this? Well, the first thing to say about this is uh, this, that Jesus' uh, return, as we're thinking about being ready and waiting, that Jesus' return is... Does that say anything on there? What does it say at the bottom? Jesus' coming. How very strange. Okay, there we are. Unexpected. Unexpected. So look at verses one, uh, verses 1 to 3 here. Jesus coming unexpected. Now, 
We don't know when he's coming. Don't try and work it out. But look at verse 2. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, I guess most of us at some point have arranged for a plumber to come or a delivery of, say, I don't know, a new washing machine to come. And they give you a window, don't they? This is when they're going to come, a time window. And generally speaking, they come a bit irritating when they don't. But generally speaking, they come when we plan that they're going to be here. Somehow it never quite happens like that if you get burgled. I mean, we've got a we've got a little pane of glass just by our front door, which is unlike the other panes of glass because it has been replaced. Because before we were here, the place someone tried to break in, but they didn't actually phone up beforehand and say, "Would it be all right if I burgled your house at five o'clock tomorrow morning?" It doesn't work like that, does it? And uh, Jesus says here, um, "You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night." In other words. It's going to be unexpected. We don't know when it's going to be, when it's going to happen. So that means we've got to be ready and waiting all the time. All the time. Now, the thing is, in Thessalonica, people are trying to work it out. So that, so you had some people there saying, Friday, 4.30, what do you reckon? And uh, others, no, 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 Saturday morning. Or no, actually Sunday, uh, noon on Sunday. I think that's when it's going to happen. They were absolutely, they were, it seems they were kind of obsessed by this idea of Jesus' return. But then others have just the opposite problem. So you have a look at verse uh, 3 there. While people are saying peace and safety, in other words, we're just going to carry on. It's going to be fine. It's a lovely life. Let's enjoy it. Plan for the future and the dim and distant future and so on. And then he says, destruction will come on them suddenly. as labor pains on the pregnant woman and they will not escape. Uh, destruction there is actually talking most likely about a destruction of their worldview, a destruction of the way they were living life, rather than complete physical destruction. The fact is, we don't know when Jesus is returning. It's unexpected. You may have heard of a young Scottish preacher, Murray Robert Murray McShane. And one Sunday evening, he was going to be uh, preaching. And as happens, we were praying just in the uh, Latimer room this morning before the service. And he was the group of people he was praying with. Uh, and he went around the little group and said, and he said, do you think Jesus is going to return tonight? And the first, uh, first person I said, um, no, I probably not. No. And he asked the next person, do you think Jesus is going to return tonight? And they said, no, no, I, I'm pretty sure not. No. And the third, no. And so on, all the way around the group. And uh, they all had the same kind of response. And then he said, my text for this evening, old-fashioned kind of uh, 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 long time ago, uh, my text for this evening is, the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. First thing, Jesus' return is unexpected. And there will be a lot of people, probably most people on the planet, including some Christians, who will have the shock of their lives. Unexpected. The second thing to say here is that it is unavoidable. Unavoidable. Uh, you can't avoid it. You can't escape it. You can't postpone it. It will happen. It will affect the entire world. It will affect, it will be more than that. When Jesus returns, it's going to involve everyone who has ever lived on this planet. That means you and me. And everyone we've ever met, and all the centuries past, uh, they will be involved as well. No escape. You will be involved. Um, 
I guess some of us watching this now or uh, uh, might not believe that. But actually, Jesus says this is going to involve the entire world. Everyone who's ever lived, you will be involved. And it'll be a great public event. There, there are some folks who have uh, who spoke to me over the years and they've said, uh, you know, talking about Christian things. And as soon as you get onto Christian things, they say, well, it's private. It's a private thing. Shut down the conversation. Don't want to talk about it. Go away kind of thing. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the football or whatever. Um, uh, thing is, your faith will not be just a private thing between you and God. When Jesus returns, it will be blazingly public. For all of us. As we're involved in Jesus' return and the judgment day. And for Christian people, as this passage goes on to uh, talk about this glorious future that we have. But the first thing to say is this is unavoidable and very, very public. And Paul says it's like, it's like childbirth for a, for a pregnant woman. A baby's going to come out somehow. Uh, labor starts or maybe you're induced and uh, or maybe it's a cesarean but there's no escaping it baby's going to arrive at some point and uh, uh, and that's what we know Jesus is coming unexpected unavoidable like a like a giant tsunami and you're there and it's coming and you know it's going to arrive at some point very very soon you can't avoid it you can't run from it you can't hide and what are Christians going to do? What do we need to do? Well, he's writing this to Christians. Look at verse 1 there. Now, brothers and sisters. And again, verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters. It's Paul's way here of introducing a slightly new thing. So he's going on to say in verse 4, though we've seen about the times and the seasons. Don't need to walk about that because it's, uh, uh, it's going to involve everyone and it's unexpected. But now, verse 4, brothers and sisters, what are we going to do about it? How should we behave because Jesus will return, will be both unexpected and unavoidable? How should we be ready for it? How can we be ready and waiting? So uh, it seems, first of all, um, Jesus is coming. But uh, now, how are we going to be ready and waiting? So the first thing to say is no surprises. No surprises. Everything the Apostle Paul says now is firmly based on what has already happened. On what has already happened to us as Christians. So you see here, it's rather like um, uh, some, uh, um, well, well, first of all, let's talk about darkness and light. Darkness and light. There is a bit of a darkness and light thing going on in verses 4 and 5. Uh, you, brothers and sisters, in other words, he's saying, but you, you're different. You're not going to be taken unawares by this. You're not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness. And you're saying, look, you were in darkness. You used to live in darkness. You were children of the darkness. You belong to the darkness, but not now. Because if you're a Christian, you're a child of the light. You live in the light. You are light. You're in the daytime. We know about these things. We're characterized by living in the light, belonging to to the light. That is, that is us. That is our life now, a new life. We've been illuminated in our understanding that Jesus will one day return. Unexpected and unavoidable, he will return to this planet, to this universe. And we therefore need to be ready and waiting. So let's not be like others. We belong to the day. 
And we're going to behave like we belong to the day. So you go on to verse 8 here, for instance. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Now, that's talking about partly sober as opposed to drunk. So it is talking about alcohol, partly. And, you know, I do hope tonight, for instance, that, uh, you know, there'll be an awful lot of people, whatever happens with the score, uh, who are going to be very much worse for wear tonight. They're not Christian people, I trust. Not Christian people. We're going to be sober. But the sober word there actually is a, is a broader thing. It's talking about self-control. It's, 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 it's talking about being in control of my behavior. Not, uh, it's being, uh, not letting yourself go in a, in a, in a, uh, frankly, sometimes a rather embarrassing kind of way, isn't it? That's what he's talking about there. Uh, those are the kind of things we're talking about. So no surprises, ready and waiting. We are going to be uh, and Jesus comes as God's people. Was, oh, this is it. And be awesome. Be extraordinary. Be, I think in some ways, a bit, be a bit scary, won't it? Really? We don't know all the details about it, but it'll be the biggest thing that's ever happened to anyone ever. And we'll be involved. And it could be in our lifetime. <laughs> could be before <laughs> eight o'clock tonight. Who knows? So um, that's the first thing. So no surprises. But also, the other thing he says here is that no sleeping. You ever fallen asleep at the wheel? Uh, I do struggle with that. Sometimes Anna and I, on a long journey, we kind of swap over. Um, uh, but it is uh, sometimes I've been uh, I've been really quite close to that. Um, but uh, you know, you can you can be dozy and dopey in front of a telly. But don't be dozy and dopey if you're driving a car. And as Christians, our situation demands that we're not like watching the telly. For us, it's much more like we're driving a car. This is not the situation for us to be dozy and dopey in. We need to be awake and sober. Awake and sober in our behavior. Restrained. Self-controlled. Part of the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. So we need to be ready and waiting, not sleeping, not drunk, not hungover, keeping in control of ourselves. Jesus is coming. We don't know when it will be. But we want to be ready on the day he comes. In our behavior, in our speech, in our thoughts, ready and waiting. There was uh, uh, one of our bishops when he was uh, um, a schoolboy, got a job on a farm. And uh, he was there and he went um, in the summer holidays with a friend. They turned up at the farmhouse and the farmer said, look, there's a big field just over there. You can see it. I want you to go and pick out the thistles, dig them out. First day, they worked really hard. And the farmer said, I'll come and see you sometime today. I'll drop in. First day, they worked really hard. Farmer didn't turn up. Next day, they knocked at the farmhouse door. So what do you want us to do today? And uh, he said, do you finish the field? No, I, I guess not. It's a big job, isn't it? So go back to the field, dig the thistles again. I'll come and see you. Didn't turn up. And every morning, it was the same thing. Dig the thistles. I'll come and see you. You never showed. Until one day, lovely July afternoon. Obviously, it wasn't in 2021. And uh, a lovely July afternoon. And uh, uh, the two lads were there. Uh, lying in the field, dozing, enjoying the sun. And the farmer came. Well, as Christian people, no sleeping, ready and waiting when the Lord Jesus comes.
And then um, there's a third thing here as well. And it is uh, this, just saved and sober, ready and waiting. And let's look at the last three verses, perhaps especially. And uh, um, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath on the day of Jesus' return. The word appoint is, uh, is actually destined. God hasn't destined us as Christian people to suffer wrath on the day of Jesus' return. Uh, instead, he's appointed us, destined us to receive salvation. Now, how does that happen? Well, through the Lord Jesus. Now, these, there are three uh, great or three layers of foundations here that we can see in these verses. Um, the first one is, uh, uh, is God's appointment. God's appointment, or if you like, God's choice, that we've been destined for salvation. And then there's a middle layer in verse 10 uh, that talks about he died for us, that Jesus' death for us again in the past. And then the third one, if you like, the next layer of foundation is one looking to the future. And that is talking uh, about receiving this salvation. Uh, to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the complete fullness, completeness of our foundation, of our salvation, that we will live together with him uh, for all time and for eternity. Now, uh, 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 we're saved as Christians now, but actually we will receive the fullness of our salvation on that day when Jesus returns. And what a great, great hope that we have and a great, great reunion with christian people who have gone before us so when jesus returns if we're alive on that day or if we've already died we will receive salvation so look at verse 10 he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep that that means whether you're alive or you've died whether we're awake or asleep we may live together with him. That means we, if we're alive on that day, together with all the Christians who have lived but have gone before us, who have died, and some we miss terribly because they're very, very close to us and they're still in our hearts and minds. But it says we, together, will be there, verse 10, living together with Jesus forever. What a wonderful day. Or the most fantastic day that will be, won't it? Won't that be wonderful? Just simply wonderful. And based on the fact of God's choice and Jesus' death, giving us this wonderful and tremendous hope. And of course, we get ready for that. When you get up in the morning, you put on clothes, don't you? You put on appropriate clothes for the day. If you're coming to church, you may wear something slightly different from what you normally do. Um, if you're going to a wedding, you wear different clothes. If you were uh, walking up a mountain, you'd wear take a waterproof and wear walking boots or whatever. Um, we wear appropriate clothes. So therefore, verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith. And love, just like you get dressed in the morning as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. This great future that we have and that we look forward to. That's tremendous, isn't it? And then he says at the end, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just since, as in fact you are doing. How are you going to do that? The word encourage, it's come, it's come before in 1 Thessalonians, is literally parakaleo, called alongside the word that is used of the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel. 
So he's saying, get alongside each other. And in just the same way the Holy Spirit encourages and builds us up and, and helps us to live for Jesus, we can help each other live for Jesus. Encourage one another. Say, so isn't it great that Jesus is coming back one day? Aren't you, aren't you so excited about the future that we have? It's not just my job to do it. It's saying one another. That means everyone. We all have the role to do it. I love the fact that in the early church, when they said hello in the morning, they didn't say, hello, what's the score going to be tonight? No, they didn't do that. And when they left, they didn't say, I'll see you next week. No, they didn't do it that way. In the early church, they said this. Maranatha. When they saw each other. That was their way of saying hello. Maranatha. The Lord is coming. That's how they encouraged one another daily. It happened hundreds of times as people arrived in church, I imagine. Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Ready and waiting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that one day, and we have no idea when, you will be back. And you will introduce this new heaven and this new earth. And together with all those Christians who have lived before us, we will join up. And we will be with you. And what a great day that will be. Please, Lord, help us to be ready. Ready and waiting. Ready and waiting. And we pray, Father, that we might encourage one another with these words, not just today, but every day, for your glory. Amen.